0: I think that when we think about, you know, workforce, just for the great economy at large, we have to think about those workers that, you know, I do have technicians that worked on oil rigs, right? Like what is going to be the easiest transition for them? And it can't be an afterthought. Just as much time we spend on solving for these environmental issues, we should be thinking about how are we going to properly transfer these workers at the end of the day? They just want to make sure they have food on their table.
1: The diversity of people is so beneficial to the strength of a company. I mean, there's just so much that folks bring to the table coming from different backgrounds, areas, and things of that nature that just, there's just something very special about that.
2: We learn when we listen. Welcome to Green Mike, an Edison Energy and Altenx Energy podcast, where we invite you into today's most compelling conversations happening in clean energy and sustainability.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Green Mike. My name is Megan Weinman, and I lead the transportation electrification practice at Edison Energy. Today on the podcast, you'll hear some new terms from us, from transportation electrification to electric vehicles or EVs. Buckle up and be prepared for some new terms and some new vocabulary on the podcast. I'm joined today by my colleague and co-host, Simon Horton, EV infrastructure lead at Edison Energy. We're thrilled to be joined by two incredible EV pioneers and trailblazers, Camille Terry, CEO and co-founder of Los Angeles-based EV technology company, ChargerHelp, and Jamie Duck, Chief Revenue Officer at ChargerHelp.
4: Yeah, thanks, Megan. Appreciate that. Simon Horton, we're joined today by two amazing people that I've worked with in the past. And so I will hand it off to each of them for a quick intro. So I'll hand it over to you, Camille.
0: Thanks so much, Simon. Hi, my name is Camille. I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Charger Help. I tell folk that we fix charging stations because sometimes they break. And I am super happy to be here with y'all. And it's my pleasure to hand
1: it over to a very old friend and colleague and now a work partner, um, Jamie. My name is Jamie Dyke. I'm the chief revenue officer at Charger Help. Had the pleasure of working with Camille in a past life. I think we're going to get into that and also working with Simon in a past life. So it's great to be all connected on today's pod.
4: I think back to my experience working at SCE and all the projects we were building there. And oftentimes the participants in the programs were super excited to get the funding and be able to move forward with charging deployment. And they'd get charges in the ground and people would begin using them. And then a charger would stop working, or then something wouldn't function, or then they couldn't get connected or you name it. And so Lo and behold, this brainchild of Camille and Jamie comes to play here. So I'd love, uh, Jamie, maybe you can give a little background on, on the work that Charger Help does and, and how that can help out to uh, people in this in that situation.
1: 100%. And only giving credit where credit is due. Camille and Yvette Ellis, Chief Workforce Officer, co founder, this is definitely their brainchild. But with that said, it is a very rewarding feeling to provide insights and collaboration with Camille and the team on just kind of what we do, why we do it, and, and how we do it. And so I'm happy to just kind of explain a little bit further on kind of where we're at in the journey. So Simon, like you just said, back in 2015 is when I started at EV Connect, and we were deploying charging stations quickly, and the conversation around operations and maintenance was very rare, The only options at the time to provide to a customer was an extended parts warranty and maybe a labor warranty if that existed by that particular manufacturer. So as an industry, I don't think we were very well educated on what we needed and how to best support these end customers. Because as we've all been talking about, it has been a nonstop figuring it out place for us. You know, you don't know what you don't know until you need to. So as over the you know many years, we started to see, learn and collect information on what kind of stuff was going on out here. I mean, charging stations get used by people. And so there's just regular wear and tear that needs to be addressed. We started learning that connectivity was a tough area to solve for. And that charging stations, because software is such a huge part of this solution that communications needed to be excellent. And if it wasn't excellent, then we've got issues. So we really have figured out a way to insert ourselves to really help enable the uptime and reliability of charging stations. So thinking of day one, proper commissioning of charging equipment, cellular readings and <laughs> and connectivity testing to ensure that those stations communicate appropriately. And then it's, it's O and M contracts at day one, which is our reliability as a service labor subscription. So, and that's where we partner with end customers, charging station manufacturers, fleets, own and operators from day one. So we're really helping to motivate others and educate others and create easy to acquire solutions and, programs from day one so that folks have that peace of mind that, you know, no hassle, someone will show up within a certain amount of time to fix your charging station based off of the labor contract that we put into place. So it's really great. We do kind of really see ourselves as like protectors of of the industry, you know, protectors of financially, like the money coming out of cities, states, federal utilities. It's worth it because it's really hard to do that upfront part so we might as well take really good care of it once it's in the ground.
4: Yeah, I, I really like that approach of, you know, how do you manage it after the fact? And you you mentioned, you know, manufacturer warranties and so on. And we've all seen it. Manufacturers enter and leave the market. They change, they get acquired by others, and it, it's an ever-changing market. So that ability to come in with that sort of agnostic, technology agnostic approach and really help a client who's got whatever chargers in place and be able to help manage them. But something you said struck me there, Jamie, and I, I really wanted to get Camille's input on that brainchild, Camille, you and Yvette, and, and where this idea came from and how you operationalized it from the from the get-go.
0: Yeah, and yeah, thanks, Jamie, for the nod to Yvette. I was like, yes. But for me early on, we, you know, as an industry, we deployed IoT assets, right? And I don't think that we really understood like what that means. So even outside of like the things that, you know, Jamie has called out, we've had instances recently, and I've actually heard this before, which kind of leads into why we developed the company the way that we did, where we'll have a charging station that shows reports as online, and then we'll get multiple tickets that it's down. But when we go on site to check it, it works. And the way that we built out our platform is that we're aggregating a lot of that work order data that usually gets lost. And then this particular instance, because we aggregate the data, we were able to identify that it was one manufacturer. It was actually a car. One specific car manufacturer didn't work on this specific station. But if we would have never have aggregated the data, we would have just been confused because we would have been like, well, we went out and tested the station, you know, and everything's working. But came to find out it was this one manufacturer and it was the firmware in that car that wasn't properly talking to the firmware in the charging station. And so I used to see this all of the time when I worked with, on the driver support side at EV Connect, where we would have these instances where the only way you understood what the problem was is because you aggregated the data really quickly. So when we dreamt of charger help, I knew that we had to have a technology solution and we had to have a people solution because we weren't at the point where the charging stations could properly tell us every single thing that was wrong with it. Right. We still had to roll the truck. And so that was the part that was important to us was that we wanted to be able to give folks the opportunity to be that truck roll and saw it as like the best way for folks to enter into the industry and to solve a problem. So the brainchild was a combination of technology and people. Uh, which I think that we're going to have to hold on to for a while. I don't think we're in the space where robots are going to solve
2: everything. I think that people are still important. <laughs> and that's how we built Charger Help. Even though we've been, all of us have been in the industry for almost probably 10 years each, it's still, we're at its infancy. We're in in the nascency, it's still a nascency part of the industry itself. I'm curious, you know, either Camille or or Jamie, you know, just to talk about how you guys think about scale. You know, there's just probably a a fixed and limited amount of infrastructure, charging infrastructure that's been deployed. But you you see announcements about the billions of dollars of commitment that's coming out of the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Funding. There's a lot of money that's being put both in the public and private sector around deploying infrastructure. I'd be curious to hear more from you all about how you're thinking about scale. And Camille, you hit on something around workforce the massive opportunity to to grow a workforce around all of this change that's happening in our
1: industry. Jamie, if you want to take scale, and I could take workforce, go ahead. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, the scaling strategy, it's thoughtful, right? I think we could grow as fast as we really wanted to, because there's a lot of charging stations already deployed. And there's a lot of charging stations that are yet to be deployed. And boy, that can help a company like ours grow really fast. But we scale very strategically in the sense of we must secure work because the people that we leverage matter a lot to the success of the business. So it is important to us to make sure that we're securing labor contracts in certain regions and that it's enough to support you know our W-2 full-time employees. So that's one scaling strategy. Another scaling strategy that we do have because, and this goes for all of us on this call, plus folks that are in the field, plus folks that are designing charging stations or software like it's constant upskilling it's constant education so at charger help we do a lot of different versions of education foundational we do cross training of folks that come from different industries and so we're eager to kind of start opening up some partnerships to some what we would call like our out of network or a non charger help technician but still folks that are certified and and are kind of rocking the charger help way and using our technology. So it's it's kind of all the above of increasing people strategically in markets that satisfy the business need. And it's, of course, always getting that software solution and labor subscription service off the ground from day one.
0: Yeah. And for workforce, you know, one of my kind of like my little fist shaking to the industry (laughs) is that like... You know, I would be in so many rooms where we would talk so poorly about folks that work at oil and, and gas places or just oil and gas industry, period. And I remember I had gone to Louisiana once to do some work with a consultant and one of the consultants, her husband, worked on the oil rigs. And when I was talking about EV charging, you know, the way that she heard EV charging wasn't about saving the environment. She heard it as like, we trying to take food off her table. And, you know, for somebody that grew up in an area that we didn't have jobs or a lot of jobs left my community, I could relate to that. You know, I could relate to someone feeling apprehensive about a solution because no one really thought about what was now going to be that person's job. And then we also heard, you know, certain politicians saying, well, why don't you have the miners, you know, um, learn how to code? And I think that like, I was just so frustrated with the industry because I don't think we were given a lot of thought to what the next job for these folks are going to be and was it going to be an easy transitioning so they could fill a part. And so I think that with the O&M and IoT assets and a lot of things that we have going on, I think that it is a realistic opportunity to transition a workforce into something that is dignified. You know, my technicians get so much pleasure out of knowing that they're bringing an asset back online that can help someone get to work, you know, or that can help someone that maybe they were facing an emergency and they don't have home charging. So they rely on, on public charging. Like my technicians feel a lot of dignity in that and then we pay them well, and we offer them equity into the company, and then we're offering them skill sets, you know, that is of the future. So I think that when we think about, you know, workforce just for the great economy at large, we have to think about those workers that, you know, I do have technicians that worked on oil rigs, right? Like, what is going to be the easiest transition for them? And it can't be an afterthought. Just as much time we spend on solving for these environmental issues, we should be thinking about how are we going to properly transfer these workers at the end of the day? They just want to make sure they have food on their table. You know, like they don't have the opportunity to think past like, you know, I'm saving the the environment. They're like, I need to make sure that I can provide to have food on my table tomorrow and that I have a job that I'm proud of. And I think that that's the part that I've been just the most proud of, so specifically of Yvette, of, of being able to think, you know, very thoughtfully about this workforce and how we allow them to be a part. And the last thing I'll say is that so many of my technicians start to buy electric vehicles. They have a whole Slack channel called EV cars. And they never even thought about electric vehicles before they joined this company. So there's something there, you know what I mean? That it's so beautiful to experience and see.
4: I love that. I, I love that. It's sort of, the industry sort of begins to build itself from the inside out a little bit from that aspect. Camille, you said some interesting things both in your intro and in, in that workforce development piece about disadvantaged communities and 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 really, you know, what does that what does that workforce development look like for the people that think that the EV industry is taking away their their current jobs? And I'm curious, and I'll throw this out to all uh, everybody, including you, Megan, when we think about workforce development, and we think about diversity, equity, and and inclusion in the industry, and we know that in this industry, there are some difficulties with that. How do we go about workforce development where we're recruiting from workforce groups that we normally wouldn't see in this industry? How do we build that into the expansion as we scale, as this becomes mainstream, how do we include that in there? And, and Megan, maybe you could kick that off, but I'd love to hear anybody's input on that.
2: We can't grow by tapping into the same groups over and over again. It's just impossible to do that. And so I think that there it's incumbent on almost everybody that's in the industry now in the EV industry that you have to look towards other hiring pools, other you know, potentially other industries, industry switchers that we might have to train into a lot of the work that we're doing. And that's actually part of the job that we have working in the electric vehicle industry is that we have to train into you know the mass of people that we're gonna need to join us in this, in our mission. And we're finding in terms of bringing in diversity, equity, inclusion, that's happening naturally when you start to broaden your aperture and bring in new players into who you're recruiting into roles. Jamie and Camille, what are you guys finding?
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of touching on the... Yeah. The diversity of of people is so beneficial to the strength of a company. I mean, there's just so much that folks bring to the table coming from different backgrounds, areas, and things of that nature that just, there's just something very special about that. I guess kind of furthermore, something that I respect so highly about the way in which charger help goes about doing things is like Building relationships within communities with workforce development centers. Like it's not transactional. It's something that's built on relationships and trust and ongoing conversations. It's really, it's important. So I guess, and there are some areas of business and in life that I just feel like are worth slowing down just enough for in order to champion and expand one's horizons by involving more folks into the conversation, into the room and into the solution. It is going to take and it, it it requires a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of areas to make this whole thing go around. And yeah, it's an exciting opportunity for all of us to think about just a little bit more ways of doing things different than involve more folks. I think the thing that I'll add is
0: that It's extremely hard. Like, (laughs) I've managed people before, (laughs) Um, but people are very, it's very hard. You know what I mean? I think like that's the part that we also need to call out to. It's like, yeah, you can have a very diverse group, but then when you start really understanding diversity, like, do you now have to switch up how you usually do things? Like, do you usually do things a certain type of way? Are you, or do you have capacity to be flexible? You know, and then also like, what are the things that you're going to stand by that you won't tolerate at your company? Like, that's the thing that I've learned the most at Charger Hope is that we've had a very diverse team for whether sexual orientation backgrounds and representation to black and brown folks to economic backgrounds. And like, what I found out is like, it's very hard. And if we want to do this and go about it the right way, it's not a matter of just like slapping DEI on stuff and it's like, OK, now it's going to be easy because we're all different. It's like, no, nope. like people are hard, period. And then you put a lot of differences like then It just gets more hard. And so I just I think like that's one thing that I always want us to keep aware of, because when it becomes hard, it's easy to revert back. Right. And I think. That we haven't figured out like what is the best way to go about this at Charger Hope, we're always trying to like refigure it out. However, I do think that with climate and with what we're doing, I think it's the only type of industry or like shift where we could try to figure it out, right? Because there is a common beacon. Like if you can't get people to understand that at the end of the day, this is a health crisis. And that I said this before on a podcast, like the earth will continue to be in the earth, whether we exist on earth or not is what we're trying to figure out. So if we can all come around that to like a common beacon that maybe we can figure it out, but it definitely is extremely hard work.
2: Yeah, any any thoughts that you have, Simon? Just to, I know that we all gave our perspectives. Any thoughts that you have?
4: Yeah, what Camille was saying really, really resonates with me. It is really hard. And coming from a huge utility Albeit a very progressive and forward-thinking utility, the utility space is not a diverse industry. It, it's very segmented, and and you know one of the things I've really appreciated about Edison Energy is is the focus on really making sure that we look at recruiting from those places like we talked about going you know going for people who maybe aren't that haven't been in the industry for for years and years and years. And I think I agree with Camille that it's very hard. One of the things I've found as I'm learning more about this, and as I'm becoming more of a progressive thinking leader, if you will, is that the people that are sustainability minded fall into this much more naturally. And so there is that ease that helps clean up, if you will, that difficulty. And so, yeah, it takes a lot of work. And I think it's something that we all need to work very, very diligently toward but i'm seeing as there are successes that the successes are are that much better
2: as we're deploying more and more chargers as this industry is growing as we're seeing more and more fleets and and passenger vehicles that are that are electrifying there's going to be more charging infrastructure that's deployed simon maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience and how you think about right sizing infrastructure so it's not only the wonderful work that charger help does is all about maintaining those assets once they go in the ground and really making sure that they're serviced, that they're operational, that they have really good systems that are in place. Maybe, Simon, you can talk a little bit too about how folks can think about deploying infrastructure, how to think about right-sizing infrastructure, and some of that work that you do in terms of trying to get charging out there.
4: Right-sizing, it's my mantra. We see so often that there's a desire well, I need the fastest charger that I can get. Or oftentimes, there's a sales process, maybe from a vehicle OEM that says, "Hey, if you get this faster charger, then your vehicle was, is back on the road sooner." Or some of the charging equipment providers want to, they want to make sure they've got the biggest charger in the industry, and so they put it. They're making things faster and faster and faster. And while there are certainly use cases for really fast charging, what we find is that in most industries, whether that's just you, you know regular passenger car charging or even up through the medium and heavy duty space, most vehicles have dwell time and dwell time allows you to go with smaller charging and smaller charging brings all sorts of benefits, lower cost of installation, much lower cost of your utility, you know, your utility connection and your utility bill. The equipment is somewhat less complicated, so it, it, is, it is generally more reliable. And there are multiple other reasons why you want to make sure you're right-sizing the equipment. But really, understanding what the purpose of the charger is and how it's going to interact with the vehicles is the most important thing to figure out. You should be doing that long before you're thinking about, which charger do I get and how many chargers do I get? What do you need in order for the vehicles to be operational for your business? You know, if you're running delivery vans, do they sit for 12 hours every night? Well, if they sit for 12 hours every night, you can charge them during that 12 hour period and you can have much more controlled charging and lower utility bills and lower cost of infrastructure. And so that I think is one of the key tenets that's often missed. I think sometimes vehicle OEMs, because they want to make sure their vehicles are successful in deployments, will lean toward faster charging. And again, like I said, I think a lot of charger providers do the same thing because faster charging makes sure that the vehicle's back on the road. And so then there's not a finger pointing that says, hey, this this technology doesn't work. But really that, yeah, bigger isn't necessarily better is a huge approach. And th- there are other things that go within that as well. You can wind up in situations where you're mixing up voltages, which requires additional equipment, more cost, more footprint. Jamie hit upon a very important part earlier about just connectivity and making sure that chargers can actually talk to to each other and talk to, you know, whether it's through a Wi-Fi connection or whether it's through a cellular connection. So often we see deployments where that hasn't been tested. We've seen situations where equipment operates on you know, 3G, and then all of a sudden systems are upgraded to 4G and 5G. And now that equipment doesn't function anymore. And so as you're selecting equipment, making sure that equipment has that flexibility to be upgraded over time, whether it's through, you know, a software update or some sort of module change out in the equipment. So many pieces like that play into a a successful EV design, which in turn makes a project that's much more operational long term.
2: Yeah that's great you know thinking about how when you're deploying infrastructure I'm curious from from Jamie and Camille now that once you guys actually see all this charging infrastructure in the ground and you're actually you're having to work with it and service it what are some of the things that you're finding around maybe future proofing or the things that you wish you could call back to people that are like hey I wish you had I wish you had thought about this in your planning or or what you're seeing that are that is once those infrastructure assets are out there what are some of the things that you're seeing from your experience
1: yeah, there's so many, I would say, best practices that we just want to shout to the mountaintops, right? It's always, always, always ensuring your your commissioning is done well, which includes that software is communicating, hardware is operational. You've documented those conditions. All parties are on board as to how it's set up. I mean, it's like just dialing in that commissioning process, which is coming of course, should not be coming off the heels of a communications assessment. That should have been done months and months before those stations get in the ground. So really analyzing that connectivity and all that kind of stuff um, is so important. The other piece that we've noticed is a emerging area of opportunity as it relates to maintenance. And the pandemic really put a flashlight on it is logistics. So parts and components and stations and where items and parts are stored matters. And especially when we do, you know, you gotta like zoom out a little bit. We're a sustainable, you know, organization. We are here to fight climate change. So like just doing logistics in a in a smarter, um, better for the planet way is also a, a massive area of opportunity that Charger Help is is working on, you know, helping to resolve and partner with the industry to get more access to parts and and components quicker and in region. Service level agreements. Simon spoke about this so, so perfectly. It's like bigger isn't always better. Faster isn't always better. It really just depends on what makes sense from a cost perspective. What type of business or organization or promise have you committed to drivers or employees, right? Like, We need to kind of have all of those things be in line so that folks do show up in a reasonable amount of time to fix things. But if you've got an extra 20 charging stations deployed and you can wait five days for a station to get fixed, that's okay too. So let's just, we really need to understand and discuss the use case, the SLAs, and the logistics so that we can all accomplish the common goal. So communication and collaboration Early and along the way is really important to that that ongoing maintenance piece.
4: Thank you so much for being able to join us, and I'm really excited about the success of Charger Help. And, and as you, your company be, continues to grow, I think it's a it's a vital piece in you know sort of closing the loop on our industry. Thanks,
1: Simon. So good to see you again.
4: Great to see you.
1: Thank you, Camille. Thank
3: you, Jamie, so much for joining us today. That's a wrap from us. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time at the Green Mic.